Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song, and we are privileged to be a part of that storytelling here today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders, past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan. And I'm Darren Lasagas. Will my reflection show? Yeah, uh, you know the words. Uh, they soundtracked many a childhood and ring true in so many ways as we grow up. Mulan, reflection from the 1998 Disney classic. And this month, the hugely anticipated live action remake uh, hit our TV streams for the first time to much mixed response. Number one, is it is it good? Is it any good at all like live action remakes are so hit and miss Mm. uh, especially in the era of Disney classic remakes and number two what is it about the movie beyond the plot I'm talking the production the filming location the cast uh, of the movie that's sparking so much controversy Uh, on today's show we're chatting with Jing and Young a Hong Kong born playwright screenwriter and journalist about what the movie means considering what's changed in the political sphere of China and we're also speaking with journalist and DJ Johnny Lu, who first reported on uh, the cutting of Mushu from the film back in February for Mashable. Uh, yeah, Mulan, iconic story. Iconic, definitely a massive part of our childhood. I've definitely stood in front of the mirror singing reflections. Just cutting your hair off. Like... <laughs> thinking I'm going into some type of battle or whatever that was for my was no there's no like any type of like lived experience from watching Milan that resonated into my life at all but the music it was definitely like I was sitting there like that young girl singing that song not really understanding what the lyrics meant whatsoever but had so much conviction and passion behind it but knowing deep down that they meant something you know and it's like you know let's wow What's the other one? Let's get down to business. Uh, Generally, Shang, bisexual king. Mm. Um, Not that we knew it as eight-year-olds, but we definitely know it now. Yeah, definitely. Especially when it comes to the way that Mulan also, like, massively challenged gender roles as well. It was huge. Like, there's no other film at that time, especially within Disney, that was marketing to young girls having any type of self-determination or agency of their own, especially in a strong patriarchal 
state. So for Mulan to be doing that back in 1998, yeah, it was definitely there was definitely some parts of it that was resonating with us as children. So it's kind of a tragedy that this remake of Mulan, which has been years in the making, has met such uh, I'm not going to say end, but such a fraught and troubled path to get to our tv screens so um yeah really excited to unpack it on this episode yeah we've got some really deadly people on the show that are going to provide us with such a um unique insight into everything within the film in terms of the way it was cast the diaspora of people that were cast the production team the writing the producing the directing down to the location shoots and where they chose to shoot it within this current climate that we're seeing amongst China and Hong Kong as well and how that's kind of had an impact on where the film is standing now for audiences. You are listening to Race Matters. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. Journalist and DJ Johnny Liu was actually on the set of Milan back in 2018 in New Zealand and we spoke to him about how that press meet went. So when I was writing about movies back in 2018 for Mashable um, I flew over there to just check out the set for a day and we we were there just checking out um, they had like this big final battle scene down there it was pretty spectacular it was um, it was in the middle of central Otago which is I guess we're kind of close to where they well it's actually just a popular spot for big Hollywood Hollywood films with all these you know towering uh, mountains and whatnot like Lord um, of the Rings yeah kind of Lord of the Rings but not Actually, they, I'm pretty sure they filmed Lord of the Rings in that area, but I mean, it looks like they did anyway. So yeah. we're just gonna go ahead and say they did. Let's just say they filmed it in Middle Earth. Okay. Yeah, you can edit that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty pretty incredible experience. But uh, you know, I was just thinking about it earlier. It's like it's a once in a lifetime experience, but it's become probably the most cursed film of, of 2020. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. So by that point, um, pro-democracy protests hadn't really intensified in the way that they kind of have in the past year. Was there any acknowledgement of how the film might be perceived at that early point? Look, in terms of development, um, what they were trying to do uh, was basically right the wrongs of the original uh, Mulan film. You know, it was, um, you know, it's a much loved animated film. You know, I enjoyed it, but there are a couple of, I guess, like cultural inaccuracies. So... Um, for instance, um, just like really minor details. So the scene when Milan cuts her hair before she, uh, she like runs off to join the army, you know, that's actually, a, a, you know, Chinese soldiers actually wore their hair long, for instance. And um, probably the, and also uh, the biggest uh, the biggest example is uh, Mushu, who's played by Eddie Murphy. So dragons are really highly revered in Chinese culture and, so it was kind of seen as a as a weird thing to to have this character as a, 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 a comedic sidekick, basically. Um, but yeah, but at that point, no, I, I they hadn't really flagged um, like I guess to me there weren't any red flags as to any of the issues that were going to raise, particularly in regards to those pro democracy protests. I think I only found out maybe a year later when. Um, whoever played Milan uh, was uh, Ife Lu actually posted about it being supporting the, the police mm. against the protesters. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that at that early stage, uh, they had made it clear that this film was kind of like 
a more authentic telling retelling of the original for, uh, story or like something that was closer to the original Chinese folklore and obviously the um, there are anachronisms in uh, the uh, animated film you talk about Mulan cutting her hair um, we also talk about Mushu being pretty uh, culturally inauthentic in the way that dragons are represented in uh, Chinese culture um, mm-hmm. which makes me think or question like who is this remake for then that's a good question yeah. uh <laughs> I mean, what do you think so what a, after that trip i uh, after speaking to the producers and um look i suspected and i, I they i also kind of made it really obvious as well is that it was i th- primarily for the chinese market mm. so just as, as a bit of context the original um, Milan was uh, didn't make it to Chinese cinemas until a year later after it was released in the US um, due to censorship uh, issues. Um, I believed Disney had released a film sympathetic to the Dalai Lama called Kundun, which is directed by Martin Scorsese. So kind of raised some issues for them there. Um, but yeah, long story short, um, you know, China is like a in 2020 was sort of uh, expected to become the biggest box office, uh, biggest film market in terms of box office sales. And so I think Disney really pivoted towards that and maybe saw a kind of opportunity there. Um, in terms of like a, a wider, I guess, like Asian diaspora audience, I I mean, personally, like it's, it, is a, it is a particularly um, Chinese story. So for me, it was like, you know, it's great to see more Asian representation and, and have and you know and I was talking to some of the cast there and they were hoping that this would become like a Black Panther mo- moment for mm. the East Asians, um, but I'm not sure if it's going to be the case. Yeah, well, um, we've definitely been hearing or yarning up with um, some other people that definitely don't think that that's the case at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's definitely a very divided film in terms of um, how it's been received. But what were some of the Australian responses to the early trailer um, releases and how has that kind of changed to now, you think? So the early responses, I believe, I get from from what I saw, I mean, it was, it was always throughout, it was like, like, oh, it's nothing like the animated version, like, oh, there's no comedy, like, mm. it's not going to be as funny, it's too serious. And, um, you know, it's, and particularly with Milan as well, um, you know, in, in, in particular the Chinese and the film and TV market, it's a story that's been done many, many times and probably, uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, Shakespeare or something like that in, if you talk about in a West context, been done. So why would a Western company go into China and do such a thing? Um, so that was the main thing. It's like, okay, well, what's what's the difference? What's Disney really bringing to the table? Um, I guess now it's it's all these things have come out. It's sort of, it, to be honest, it's like Mulan is dead in the water. Like I have, you know, I I actually haven't seen it yet. Like I, I don't want to, like, because I'm a like to be honest, I'm a. I'm, I, I'm going to say, I was like, I'm a bit of a cheapskate. I'm not going to pay $30. Well, that's Wait, another this... thing. I'm just like, yeah. we're already paying. Well, I'm not paying. I'm using someone else's. Disney Plus <laughs> uh, login. And how much is it to watch like it? $30. $30. $30 for the one film. Yeah. We were having this conversation as well before we started today's show being like, Disney has money. Why do we need yeah. to? Like, we understand that um, Milan did like lose a lot because it was planned. Its planned release was at the start of the pandemic, but at the same time, it's like 
but surely you'll still be fine. Like yeah. you're not like Disney's still gonna function regardless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone still got paid. I mean, it was a two hundred million two hundred million dollar film. Yeah. Like if they've got if they've got that money, they're kind of in the bank. Then uh, I'm sure surely there's some contingency there. Mm. <laughs> I mean, but they, they are they are releasing in China, which is again like where they're, I believe is where they're expecting to make their big bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Johnny, you're like a tech guru. Um, what do you think is the benefit, if any, of having this movie exclusive to a streaming service? I don't know. There isn't one, right? I don't know. If I like, I like, I like cinemas. Like, yeah. I like, you know, I think, and I think is particularly for blockbuster films, it's like, you know, you want to see a film in the cinema and I, um, I don't know. I think, as I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. why they. I don't know why they do it. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you. I think I saw that on Disney Plus that they don't have um, Chinese subtitles on it. Yeah, I was. I did. I did read like potentially question mark. Yeah. It's like when the uh, Chinese release, which is on on Friday, which was on Friday rather. Um, is that's when the the subtitles will become available, but I haven't seen that yet. Well, so. okay. One thing I noticed as well, like, uh, and this is it's sort of just been buried under all the other complaints is the um, the crew um, and, and talk, we're talking about the wider the, the writers, like most yeah. of the production staff are white and not people of color, or specifically Chinese or um, Asian. So, like, when I was there, um, we actually asked. It was like, oh, so like you know what kind of people do you have um you like do you have people of color do you have chinese people who um are actually on on staff and they were like oh no we've got advisors which i feel like it's like just any other hollywood film it's like oh we've got you know these people we're just gonna ask oh is that okay can we say this like consultants rather than, yeah consultants mm. rather than actually having them in the room i believe they had one producer who's chinese but um i'm not even sure what his role is like there's like seven <laughs> producers the film so it's so i mean like i feel like that's just 101 in terms of representation now in this yeah. in this like scope as well and all the conversations that we've been having and all the expectations that we have of authentic representation of people of color in films especially after like post um crazy rich asians and black panther like there were such monumental yeah. moments because of the fact that everything from costume design to production to the art department to um the writers room obviously and producers was all from the people all from the racial background of the stories that they're telling so yeah. it makes no sense that that wasn't like wouldn't have been something called out upon release yeah particularly with um milan like that they they worked really hard to um cast yeah like for all those lead roles like they like spent i think two years trying to find their lead yeah trying to find um you know actors from a chinese background or other asian backgrounds to like fill those roles and it's you know they, i mean not saying it's like not easy but like it, they they went to across australia to america to you know like singapore to like find like authentic um actors and, and 
they didn't really do that behind the scenes, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah, so, it's just yeah. interesting that, like, on paper, this is a film that uh, is geared towards Chinese audiences and uh, making good a story that historically hasn't been successful uh, in the box offices of China, but yes, for Western audiences, that they would put in leadership roles non-Chinese people. That genuinely just perplexes me. I don't have an answer for this question. Oh, I don't have a question yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. No, I, uh, another thought I had is, like, I... I had a bit of, you know, if this if this tanks and it prop and it might, um, you know, I had this concern that like, you know, Disney or other big, uh, you know, movie studios won't even try and bother when it comes to uh, inclusion or yeah, like right. you know casting more more you know, underrepresented stories or, or, or you know cut, doing better in, in that regard. Um, but I'm sure you've seen like with the Oscars stuff uh, this week in terms yeah. of uh, the best picture stuff that hopefully that will like put a bit of pressure on them. But yeah, I don't know. I feel, you know, as we know, money talks. Yes, okay. money talks and Mulan is the most cursed movie of 2020. <laughs> yeah. You that- can quote, you can put that in a quote. Yeah, me. that's yeah. the whole quote from Johnny Lou. <laughs> You're listening to Race Matters. I'm Darren Lasagas. I'm Sada Khan. And this month, the live-action remake of Milan hit streaming service Disney Plus for the first time in lieu of a cinema release and six months after its originally planned release date. The world has changed so much in those six months and in ways that only this movie can reveal to us. Earlier this week, we spoke to Hong Kong-born playwright, screenwriter and journalist Jing-An Yun to talk to us about what that means. Also, spoiler alert for the rest of this app. Big spoilers. So we're all very familiar with the story of Milan. The 1998 animation holds a very special place in a lot of people's hearts. Um, what did the movie mean to you? Well, it sort of, um, it, I guess it came out at the right time. I mean, I was eight years old when it came out and it was the first time I'd ever kind of, I guess, viewed myself as being seen as a sort of mixed race, half Chinese woman growing up, you know, in a former British colony. So my upbringing was very kind of mismatch, hodgepodge. And in a way, I guess the film, you know, it successfully kind of combined that East-West, second-gen, third-gen immigrant experience. And I think to a lot of Asian-Americans as well and British-Chinese, you know, it really kind of reflected that that upbringing and that kind of trying to reconcile each part of your ethnicity, right? Totally. And also it's just really, really funny and, you know, I think it, I don't know, it's really strange. It's sort of, it's, it was huge sort of success when it came out. And I think it still stands up, but I think people have sort of forgotten about it, which I think makes this conversation about the live action film really interesting as yeah. well. Yeah, and coming to the live action uh, film, um, obviously there have been some major changes uh, from the 1998 version uh, to this version. What, what are some of those changes? Well, they've removed the wisecracking Dragon Guide Mushu, which was voiced by Eddie Murphy. (laughs) And I guess that's kind of the most, I guess, quote unquote, problematic character in the film. Mm. You don't have to go into that, but like, you know, they've removed, they removed Mushu, they removed the cricket. Yeah, they got rid of Li Shang, who's known as kind of a bisexual icon. Oh, Bai King. Uh, They got rid of, yeah, and they amalgamated, I guess, the character, the Mongol character, the Han Han character, uh, Khan, as uh, two characters. As uh, Bori Khan, which is played by Jason Scott Lee, and Gong Li plays a witch, because you have to have a Chinese witch. You have to have the in mystical. This version mm. the yeah, which is a very, again, she's fantastic. I love Gong Li, but the character is very, you know, she's sort of in and out and does very sort of little to the plot besides create 
and I've written in this in this in this Guardian article kind of a little bit of sexual tension, but that's about as much sort of passion that we get in the movie, and everything else is extremely bland and it's it's a depiction it's sort of claiming to be authentic and trying to do what the you know apparently the the cartoon didn't do mm. but it, it it homogenizes chinese culture it's saying you know everybody's han chinese everybody believes in chi you know which again is a really poor choice on behalf of the the screenwriters so they give her a magic superpower so she doesn't have to uh, work hard to get, you know, to become the warrior and to and to save China, which is, of course, in the original version, she's this awkward teenager, which you know is part of the reason why I love the cartoon so much. Yeah, I am know? keen. I am keen to delve into this concept of chi that is explored in the film a little bit later. But uh, the movie has been, you know, in the collective consciousness for some time now. I mean, mid last year or maybe even earlier, they released the first trailer, and uh, then it was clear that this film was going to sit in a pretty politically contentious position um what was the response if you can remember uh to the film back then well i actually wrote about the trailer mm. in 2019 because i was so uh i'm not, not, not shocked but kind of like you know wh who are they making this film for right which audience are they making this film for and i was just very struck by the very kind of Chinese nationalistic tone they were going for and the lack of humor. I think that's another thing that mm. is in the movie that we forget is how witty it is and how funny it is. And this was very much like, this is a children's movie, right? But there's no laughs. And it's sort of like this strange sort of, I guess, quasi Star Wars, but like orientalized, you know, for mm. like so-called foreign tastes. So yeah, and I, and I remember being kind of weirdly, I don't know, I just was very unhappy. I was quite unhappy with it on that level. But on another level, a couple months later, the lead actress who they cast, Crystal Liu Fei, she came out in support of police brutality against Hong Kong protesters. And that's kind of what sparked off this hashtag boycott Mulan movement. But even before that, even before it was murdered in controversy in that way, and of course, Donnie Yen as well, who's very pro CCP, um, I was still very, very struck by the very, the way that they had stripped it of its initial, um, you know, power as a film before. I think that's kind of a constant um, battle that uh, POC people have, people of culture have with how Disney handles the representation of mm. our own um, racial and cultural identities as well. And it's, you know, like I guess like a lot of um, people from the Pacifica community also had that in the lead up to Moana coming out as well and how was that um, space going to be authentically represented too. But then now with like Mulan, and the way so much has changed already in 2020 and how we have our own kind of like public awareness and consciousness around what we consume and what's happening in the world and what we kind of expect of these creatives that are partaking in films mm. and these stories too, like off screen, like what's our expectation of that? How much do you think all of that's kind of now changed since the film has released and everything that's happened in 2020? I think you're absolutely right, like how to navigate those spaces, particularly with more awareness about us, you know, about POC and about how you respect the culture, but also sort of you are making a piece of entertainment. But with Disney, you know, it's this huge big budget thing. And to, you know, to they're just lazy, you know? I think it's just, you know, the, these conversations have been going on for many, many, you know, for at least like 10 years and around representation. And I think it's quite, yes, yes, we're living in a different context with BLM, and, um, you know, other kind of huge movements to kind of increase East Asian representation in Hollywood and in, well, I'm only speaking for Britain, 
but I do think it's just on the part of like just the idea of what they are aiming to do with this film is I get I think it's just poor, I think it's just very poor judgment on Disney's part and yes I think we do expect a lot from them but at the same time it's like it's 200 million dollars mm. like, you know <laughs> like you know what I mean it's just it's not like an independent film that has to yeah. you know, make all these sacrifices and you know um compromises they didn't have to compromise on anything actually mm. so that's really yeah it's just very shocking and then all the stuff which is now coming out about it being filmed in Xinjiang which I didn't even realize until I actually watched the film with my mum and she's very into location shooting, you know, like, oh, where was it filmed, you know? And so she watches the credit. I never watch credits, actually. It's very bad, but uh, very bad for, but like we watched it. She goes, oh, look, what's that? You know, it's, oh, you know, Southern China, Northern China, blah, blah. And then it says like Uyghur committee, you know, a propaganda department of, of Xinjiang. And then it comes out that actually these are the groups that are running these internment camps. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Like today, um, I think one of the Uyghur like um, charities who are trying to, you know, promote the awareness about this, it was actually filmed in an area where there are actual concentration camps, like filled with thousands and thousands of people. Wow. So it's yeah. So it's just like and more and more of this stuff is coming out. And, you know, these these um the people behind the film were aware, very, very aware of this. So I don't know what's going on with that, but that's like a completely different. See, this movie is like so complex. Now yeah. yeah. It's like I mean, it's like you scratch the surface a little bit, and then it's just like opening a can of worms. And I guess like we all kind of want to celebrate this film, Milan, as well because of how we grew up with it from the 1998 one. But now to kind of see what's happening in the midst of like 2019 through to 2020 and. Like it, I and what and also the fact that we have social media now, like we have the capacity to kind of see things for what it really is as well. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of just like makes it a little less mm. um, easier to have like the rose-coloured mm, glasses lenses on, lenses on, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. And we've got to like kind of think a bit more critically about what we're consuming. Exactly. Um, you touched on yeah. this earlier, this idea of big budget um, films not having the capacity to authentically tell stories, which is so true because with those big productions, you have so many people in between the story and uh, and the person consuming the story that obviously so much is going to be lost on the way, so much is going to be diluted and so much is going to be left behind that the end product will always be some uh, semblance of what the original idea mm. was. Um, is it true that the, I mean, was it the, like the production team was an all white um, production team or something or like the writing team was all white? Yeah, no, they had they hired four, not one, but four white screenwriters. Yeah, and every one of the predominant production team are white. So white choreographer, white costume designer, white editor, white director. So I guess you know that's also very kind of strange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to put it lightly. No. Yeah, it... I was a bit. Yeah, I was a bit shocked about that actually, especially because Disney is like you know very active in Black Lives Matter, like even on Disney Plus. They're celebrating black voices. Yes. And, you know, it's sort of like, what are you, tr- like, wh- what were you trying to do with this film? Again, it's like this really poor judgment on the, on whatever happened, whether it was in the beginning of the production or after or in the middle. 
something mm. went something got lost or, or maybe they're just you know i don't i want to give them the benefit of the doubt but like yeah mm. i guess it also speaks yeah. more um largely as well to how these corporations partake in really empty gestures they're not really doing any type mm. of critical engagement with people of culture people of color and those lived experiences and those stories it's kind of like they still are doing the same kind of like really like bare minimum so it's all well and good mm-hmm. to like put up that you're seemingly progressive and um, very ahead of your time when it comes to these stories and these narratives. But then when we look on in terms of who's actually behind making decisions and who's crafting the content and who's making decisions in post-production and all of that stuff and where they shoot and all of that, they're not going to have any type of like strong social consciousness or lived experience to understand like those decisions that they're making in the creative process. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really, and that that's what makes it worse because this is a New Zealand female director. I don't know very much about her. I've never seen Well Rider, although I, I'm very interested to to watch it. But like, you know, it, that movie has this presence of it being very empowering for young women. So she seems on paper extremely perfect for this. But at the same time, in the movie, you know, again, spoiler alert. You know, kind of mentioned earlier that she's given this superpower already. So there's this idea that she already has, and it's very explicit in the beginning of the film, we have this very cheesy voiceover from the father who goes, you know, how do I tell Mulan that only men can wield their chi and women can't? And you're kind of like, well, that kind of completely reduces the whole point of her having chi then, because even if she wields chi at the end because she accepts who she is, which we don't, again, we don't really get any sort of development on that part. She really doesn't have any personality at all and she also be problems you know i mean the only thing is in the beginning which they kept i think very true to the cartoon with the matchmaking scene which is almost i think shot for shot basically like the cartoon so i was a bit in the beginning i was actually quite hopeful I was like, okay this is sort of like the cartoon and then they discard that kind of idea of you know in chinese culture the idea of you know having to please your family and all the expectations that come with it and also patriarchal you know expectation of marriage and all these things which are very rich and interesting, but then it just dis- it just throws it away. And then there's a witch and then it's just random and like, you know, you don't understand <laughs> there's so much CGI and you're like, I don't understand any of this stuff. So again, it's sort of really strange that a female director would let the script be about a woman who doesn't have to work to get to the end of, you know, the, the, the hero's journey, right? Mm. Instead, it's just, no, 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 she's already, we know she's already got superpowers. She can fly, she can literally fly, by the way. She literally can fly. She doesn't need any help from a man already, which means that we come to it with this, with this, it, it, it creates this barrier between us and the protagonist who is supposed to reflect that struggle of just being alive, right? Mm. I mean, and I hate that. It, it, it's sort of like this problem that people are calling it, I don't know much about it, but it's like sort of the Mary Sue problem. Yeah. But um, I think there's much more to that than just, you know, Mary Sue. I think, I think it's something, it's just very... Oh, this film is so bad. <laughs> it's just so like I can't. I, I've been talking about it all week. Okay. Yeah, it's no, just, we it's know. It's getting worse and worse yeah. every time I talk about it. It's getting oh. more and more sad. Oh no. But yeah, sorry. No, all good. Please, we love to hear it. I mean, we don't love to hear what we do. You know. Um, well, we love. We also do love to like hear a rundown as well. Exactly. We love to hear a hot take yeah. and a negative, <laughs> a negative take as well. We're here for it. <laughs> um, well, there's you- one positive thing is you know the acting besides the protagonist the acting is actually fair enough you know i mean i think the i think they're doing and i think they're doing as 
best as they can yeah. with the script that they're given. Right. So there's nothing, you know, and I think that they've really tried to give us, uh, you know, again, I said this earlier, like it's a very homogenous view of Chinese culture, but at least they're trying to like, you know, give us some, you know, interesting type of architecture and they're sort of, you know, kind of trying to push that, you know, the, the costumes are beautiful and, you know, so that's not, it's not all bad, you know? Yeah. Um, Jing and you touched on this before. Uh, I just want to pivot a little bit back to uh, the comments that were made by Crystal uh, Liu Yifei. Um, and I feel like Mulan, more than most films, uh, the public comments and the endorsements of the cast and production team uh, of this film are extremely loaded. But um, yeah, what, is, what does the film's release mean for pro-democracy and, and human rights movements in China now? I think um, what's really interesting about the Boycott Mulan movement, which really kind of took off because of what she did, which is essentially repost a, a piece of propaganda from the Global Times, which said, you know, we support police brutality against protesters. And I think that became, I guess, this litmus test about, you know, how how much are we willing to accept these injustices on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party against, you know, freedom of assembly, which, you know, used to be legal here. And then, of course, what happened last year, which is what kind of culminated in this whole movement is the extradition bill, which led to like these huge mass million uh, million man protests and again, kind of put the spotlight on Hong Kong human rights issues. And then once that was sort of put away by our chief executive very much, you know, after I mean, you know, if she didn't get the clue from the protests against this (laughs) bill, um, which, you know, I, I don't really want to go into it, but after that. You know, there was sort of this moment of like, you know, now we're sort of moving towards more awareness for what we're going through. And again, in Australia as well, you know, you you just came out, you know, the Australian journalists just escaped with their lives from yeah. China. I mean, this whole thing is it's like, how far are you willing to pander to it? So, again, I think that's kind of part of the uh, the power of it. It's sort of the symbol for like, you know, why the West, which is this you know, symbol for democracy, symbol for freedom is is going as so far as to actually just sort of turn a blind eye. And as you said, you know, put on rose tinted glasses about it. Um, but then, of course, this year in June, you know, we had the national security law shoehorned into uh, into our basic law, which basically means you can't say anything uh, against the CCP, you know, without, you know, uh, risking extradition to China and trial behind closed doors. So, you know, we're all sort of... <laughs> you know uh, tiptoeing around you know trying to speak out but you know what you know you can't not speak out against what's going on The animation portrays so well the intergenerational relationships of migrant families especially elements of Cantonese culture. How much of this translated through into the remake? Absolutely none, I don't think. No, 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 that's not right. That's not right. There is lots to, there is a, there is a hint of that kind of amazing intergenerational relationships. I love that you mentioned that. No one has asked me this. In the original, there is so many hints of Cantonese culture. The first thing out of her mouth is Aya, you know, and like, you know, I could just see my whole family life in that cartoon. And in this one, there is a hint of it, but there's just so much, again, it's the script, going down to the script. There's so much, it, cliches about Chinese families, you know, like the father is this, you know, really like oppressive figure, who, mm. you know, is just so disgusted by his daughter's disrespect to him and she has no honor. And and then you've got the emperor character played by Jet Li, who is dubbed 
into English, <gasps> which is, you know, very jarring. <laughs> you sort That's of weird. That definitely doesn't sound like that. That is yeah. super. Um, if, like, yeah. aren't we past that? Aren't we past dubbing? <laughs> I don't know, but he's got a really weirdo accent. Oh. <laughs> it's very yeah. It's sort of it's sort of like this, and you're like, well, this is not Jet Li's voice. But um, yeah, so you've got that, and then you've got sort of this strange. They have a, they give her a sister. I think in one of the ballads, because again, you know, there's so many versions of this of this story, which is inevitable, right? With you know legends that go down through generations, things change. But one of the things is the fact that she's number one was originally a Mongolian. You know, she was from Shambay, which is in Mon- you know Mongolia, which they made her into Han very explicitly. And in the original, one of the poems, I think she does have a sister who follows her into battle. Like I think that's actually part of one of the interpretations of the ballad. But it's not in this film. And you know, you hear about these versions of the story, and you're going, "Wow, that would have been great, mm. giving her a sister to fight alongside with her." in the war against you know the whatever and it's just again this very strange depictions of relationships again it's i think it's just because this, you know the show we're talking about you know representation of east asians again it's sort of like east asians are have no emotion east asians can't you know express love or express again this is a very i, I kind of tweeted this earlier but it's a very sexless film there's really not, I mean, they were very, they weren't very secretive about the fact that they were censoring the film. And one of the scenes that they took out was a love scene. And I watched the film and I actually was waiting for this moment. It happens on a bridge between her and her love interest, which is the soldier. It's not the general anymore. It's just a soldier and her battalion. And, you know, you think that they're going to kiss and they don't. And, you know, you read about this later that they actually took that out because according to a consultant that they hired, it wouldn't appeal to Chinese people. Which I think is a big presumption, presumption mm. on behalf of this consultant and a kiss between, you know, the prote- female protagonist and, you know, her so-called love interest in the film wouldn't, you know, embrace. I mean, that's fine. I think that's a choice. But again, it's, there's, there's something about there's something about stripping this woman of and her family. Again, going back to your question, sorry, it's just you could go off of it forever. Like, but just like the intergenerational relationships, like there isn't any sense of context or history or again like everybody's relationship is relative to the script and to the story and because it's such a poor it's almost as if they didn't even write it with any sort of usually when you're writing a script because i'm a screenwriter as well and usually when you're writing a script you know of course you don't have to give so much exposition about the family and like where they come from sometimes you do you know through flashback etc but there is a sort of sense when you're writing a thing like this which is epic that you know where these people came from, you know what they ate for breakfast, right? They, things like that, you know, you know who their sister was, you know what they did for, for a living and la la. And there is a real sense that these characters that have been written for this version are very two-dimensional and have very little, I mean, again, you don't have to develop a character in front of you, but you do have a sense just through little nuance in a script that you can actually garner where they're from if that makes any sense or what the relationships were before yeah yeah i think as well like it's really um irresponsible to not like give the characters that much like to to like 
give give them that um, nuance and give them these layers. Like mm-hmm. they're deserving of all of that. Especially after we've just we were coming off the back of films like Crazy Rich Asians, which is like mm-hmm. more focused in on Singapore, but it has all of those elements that you were talking about before in terms of like there's these strong character arcs that are happening, mm-hmm. and you know they're full of um, humor and sex and anger and trauma, and it's you know and all of these intergenerational relationships from like you know the history like the extensive history of their families and the social hierarchies within it all like there's so many layer on layer on layer and it's done in a really like um beautiful diverse Mm -hmm. way and so like you know for milan to kind of not offer that to these characters now like there's so much opportunity for it you would think that now more than ever that would kind of like happen that would be executed Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny, like you used to say, Crazy Rotations. I just rewatched that as well. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just because I was like, wow, this was this huge moment, you know, for us. And even that movie has a lot of problems just as a romantic comedy, mm. but it, I was, I always cry when I watch it. Me it's too. Just, it, yeah. <laughs> Me too. It's just got reaction. I'm just like, when they're making dumplings and they're having oh. this really bitchy conversation about, you know, um, you know where you come from, and you know, da da da, and and you just, oh, you just, you're just like, but that's, you know, that's us, that's us, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. But Mulan also, just as a child, um, the 1998 film portrayed young women also just challenging gender roles within such a staunch patriarchal state and it definitely resonated within just myself as a young woman and we haven't really seen much of that from Disney until Moana and so do you think that this film like just away from the live action one has just carried on through the decades because it was quite far ahead of its time in regards to gender roles? Yeah definitely I think that is a huge part of it and the fact that she is doing it as a you know quite a young woman who doesn't really know who she is yet and so she's responding to all of these you know you know this the politics of the time even though it could be any place anytime right i mean that's another thing about it it's like have, have has society even changed that much in terms of what we're talking about mm. as well so i completely agree yeah i think that's one of the reasons why it's it's stood up so well and like the another thing like the, again, spoiler, like the emperor bows to Mulan in the original cartoon, which is like this huge moment of like, in a way, subtly saying this is the beginning of the breakdown of, of uber patriarch patriarchy, right? Mm. I mean, that's what to me it spoke to. I was like, because of course, I'm not going to go into it. It's like, you know, it's the end of the film. And like, you know, then they'd have to, you know, they'd have to wait to the sequel to kind of explore how, you know, women have more get more rights in China. Da, da, da. But like in that scene, it's basically telling you particularly if you're looking at it from a traditional Chinese context, it's sort of like, wow, like the emperor would number, number one never do that, right? But it's, it's just doing that to show you that that's how, that's how much, you know, development that that character's had, but also just how much she's, she is a figure for feminism mm. in that cartoon version. Whereas in this one, no bowing, uh, oh. <laughs> no bowing, no sort of, um, no sort of like, moment where you go okay she's getting the respect now as a woman there's none of that it's very much like oh no you're one of the guys and you know yeah that's about it that's kind of what you get in this film oh no totally just like you know (laughs) yeah mr this missed the whole point oh what a missed opportunity (laughs) that's yeah that's i think that's the biggest thing that like thing we can say about this film is that it's such a missed opportunity and actually if they had just 
I would have been happy if they just shot for shot remade the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> give us a Lion King edit. Just give us a Lion King edit. That's what we want. Yeah. Exactly. And you know what? You could have cast Asians from all creeds, all colors, all sizes, all places. And you would have been unashamed of just saying, you know what, like, you know, Asians can be all these different things and they can all be really complex. But this is a Disney film as well. And, you know, instead of being very deliberate in the way that you I don't know if we talked about this yet, but like, you know, the deliberate casting of predominantly mainland Chinese actors. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why, again, it's very jarring because you're watching this and they're all speaking with their own accents. You know, in their in that I don't know, it's not Chinglish, but, you know, it's 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 very odd that they're not speaking in their natural language. And you're kind of yeah. like, well, why didn't they just film this in Putonghua? And then you read later, like online, that they're redubbing it into Chinese for its release this week in oh. China. So I don't, I don't understand the point of any of this, to be honest. It's just sort of like, <laughs> and also again, missed opportunity for, uh, you know, the Asian Americans to be cast because you know, again, woeful representation with Asian Americans and so many of them that they could have cast. I mean, not just Asian Americans, Australian Chinese or British Chinese, you know, I mean, again, you know, it's sort of a a missed opportunity for that as well, I thought, really strongly watching it going, this is very strange. Yeah. Well, that was kind of one of the things that came out of Crazy... I'm taking back to Crazy Rich Asians again. Sorry. You I love that like movie. I'm, no, I feel great. like I'm going to go rewatch it again now. I'll rewatch, I'll rewatch the Milan one and then I'll rewatch Crazy Rich yeah, Asians yeah. after. Yes. But um, that's kind of what they did as well. They casted from so many different diasporas mm. um, yeah. with that movie. And it, it did. It did. It complemented um, the whole collective really beautifully. And we're really thankful as well for voices like yours in amongst all of this, especially when we have these big studios like Disney wanting to um, partake in these types of narratives. And so having your voice in amongst all of this is super important. It cuts through all the nuance. It gets right down to the point of it all and really showcases what we, what, what, what audiences properly wanted it. So really thank you for that. And we asked this question of all of our guests when we wrap up and that is Jingang, when did you realize there was power in your race? Oh my God. <laughs> That's such a hard question. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, Mulan, really. Mm. 1998, watching Mulan. That was just sort of, that was, you know, I was a, I was a kid and I, I, I immediately saw how powerful our culture is, but also how, again, being third culture, it's such a, it's so difficult to explain to people who don't come from that community and being mixed race, so I guess it was that moment. But again, also Crazy Rich Asians was a huge part. Again, you know, movies, this is why I write, you know, screen and and stages, because I find that film is so powerful for us, for representation and to see us reflected. That's Jingan Young talking about when she realised there was power in her race. That's all for Race Matters this week. Big thanks to our guests, Jingan Young and Johnny Liu for joining us. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. You can find us at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters or wherever you get your podcast that catch you next week. Race matters. 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 Race matters.